Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. All right. Thank you all. Good morning, everyone. It's an honor to be here with you today. I, um, man, I just feel so good this morning. And I've got three kids, and my life is kind of crazy, but I don't even care anymore. Because <laughs> he's that good. And so I'm feeling at peace. I hope you feel in his peace today. I'm just going to pray. Father, we just, we, we thank you that you're in our midst. And I pray, Father, would this time honor you. And would your, your word go forth and pierce our hearts and transform our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk to you today about this topic. And Cheryl Allen, she hit on it last week, and I want to dive into it more. And that it's, the, it's a concept, I guess. Um, but the concept is living from the inside out. Living from the inside out. What does that mean? What does that look like? I want to dig into that a bit today. And essentially where I'm going to land this thing is the key component to living from the inside out is a life of prayer. It's the key. It's the most important component if you want to live from the inside out. It's a life of prayer. And it feeds your soul and it strengthens your spirit. And how many of you know in the season that we're in, if you didn't know it from the last season, we need to live from the inside out. We need to be strengthened in our inner man. It's so essential. It's so essential. And so, so I hope today that you'll feel equipped to do that and that you'll feel inspired to pray for others that they would be strengthened in their inner man. So that's where I'm going today. Now, have any of you, I'm sure you have, but I'll ask it anyway. Have you had a moment in your life when you were gripped by the reality of God and by a significance to your personal life, your own purpose, your own significance, that all of a sudden in a moment you felt? So I'm saying you go from a life where you're just like kind of doing things as they are, you know, doing what comes at you, just normal. And then all of a sudden you have a moment and you feel my life has extreme significance, extreme importance. My life matters to God. You ever, you ever had those moments? Those are really important moments. And how many of you know that you can have that moment? You can feel the weight of the significance of your life, the weight of what Jesus has done for you. You can have that moment. And then in the next it's gone. It's like you can't grasp it. You can't get a hold of it. You know, we were born for significance. We were born with God-given purpose, and our value is made clear on the cross. Jesus made it clear that our life mattered when he died for you and for me. And I encourage you, though, we just started this, you know, series, uh, Born for Significance, the book that Bill Johnson wrote. And I encourage you to go to that. They just started last week. They're going to be meeting again. This, it's every Tuesday night 
I believe it's at 7.30. It was on the announcements. Um, but I really encourage you to go to that. And some of what I'm talking about today is tied in with this concept that we were born for significance. And I believe we, we, we capture that or we are able to harness that reality in the place of prayer, in the place of our inner life with God. And so for me, I'll tell you a quick story about myself. I, I, one of my moments where I recognized this, the, the depth of the significance of my life and, and God's heart for me, it was kind of odd. I was actually in Colorado, and, um, which is a great place to encounter God, right? These huge mountains. I was there working at this summer camp, and I was reading this book. It's still popular. It was really popular at that time, um, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. You guys know that book? So I'm reading that book, and I'm pretty new in my faith. And I get, it's about masculinity and like, you know, like not being, a f- like kind of these lies of fear and how we're made to t- as men and women as well, but it's more, it's a men's book. You're directed to like take risk and like push through these, these lies and these walls that like want to wall you in and make you really prone to risk. But like, no, we have to like be bold and we were made for significance in God and in Jesus. And we're going to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. And something in me came alive. My inner being started. It wasn't just the words on the page. It was the spirit of God in me was welling up. And I was like, yes, I'm free in Christ. I'm going to go to the nations. I'm going to whatever. You know, it, it like was so intense that I, you know, my buddy Drew, who I just met recently, I was like, Drew, we're going to get up tomorrow and we're going to go. And there was this big mountain. I said, we're going to climb that mountain. And there was a cross on the top. But we're going to grab a hold of that cross because we're men of God. Like, and we're not going to bow to the culture. And, and so something welled up in me beyond the words on that page, the spirit of God. And I was also 20 years old, so my brain wasn't fully functioning probably at that time. So that may be a factor here. So my buddy Drew, I wake him up the next morning. It's like 4 a.m. Like, let's go to the mountaintops. And he's like, all right. You know, he's 20 as well. He's like, I'll follow you wherever you go. (laughs) Not a good choice, Drew. So we go up the mountain, and and literally, like, we get up, and we've gone for an hour, two hours. And it's like 6 a.m. maybe at that point, 7 a.m. And we stop to get a water break. And Drew, as we're drinking our water, I look at Drew, and his eyes are huge, like as big as saucers, and he's like up against the mountain face. And I'm like, Drew, what's going on, man? We're wild at heart, brother. And uh, he's like, dude, we're going to die up here. (laughs) I was like, Drew, I thought you were with me, man. And uh, I began to realize, like, we're on a rock face, and we're wearing tennis shoes, and we don't have any ropes. Like, I mean, it's literally a cliff. And, uh, and we're high up at this point. I mean, I'm thinking about it. And Drew is scared. He's terrified. So I did what any good friend would do. I said, Drew, I'm going to the cross. I'll see you later, man. You stay here and wait. <laughs> so I went up the mountain and left him, on, like, clinging to whatever, a branch or whatever was there. And, and I went up, and I grabbed a hold of that cross, and I said, Lord, like, my life is yours. Like, I'm so, I'm going to live for you, and I'm not, I'm not bound to fear anymore. I'm not doing it. And so it was a, it was a significant moment for me in my own walk with the Lord. And uh, so I come back down the mountain. You know, I feel like Moses, you know, coming down. here, Joshua down here, but he was scared, Joshua. And... Uh, <laughs> And we end up, we go down and we come back and we find out later, like, people get kicked out of camp for, like, climbing that mountain. Like, that's like, people literally have gotten kicked out because it's a cliff and it's insane to try to do that. And, uh, and we did it. And, but how many of you know, when you get so caught up in, 
that inside life, when you are hearing from the Lord and you're stirred up in your spirit, you will do external things that you normally wouldn't do otherwise. You'll actually not see some of the threats or the risk because you're caught up in what you heard on the inside and what you heard the spirit welling up in you. You're caught up in that, and you'll do things. People say, that's bold. That's amazing. Actually, it's just me living on the inside. And it just looks, it may look cool, but it's, it's because I'm in communion with him, and I'm not afraid. And so, so that was my moment, and, and I, I've had many more, and, you know, that one's just kind of a funny one, so I wanted to use it. But, um, but I, I want to go um, to, to King David, and I want to talk about a moment he had when he recognized his significance and that his life was bigger than what he thought. And it stirred up on the inside of him, and it, and it changed his whole trajectory. So this is um, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and this is verse 6 through 13. And just to tee this up, so you've got the prophet Samuel who has gotten a word of the Lord that the former king, King Saul, has, has disobeyed God and is no longer going to be continuing to be king. And he has told him, you need to go and anoint the new king. So Samuel goes to the house of this man, Jesse, and he goes and he, he knows that the Lord's anointed one of his sons. And so that's, that's what's taking place here. So verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw, I can't even say his name, Elab. So clearly he's not the, he's not the one. And thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, the inside, the deeper things. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord's not chosen this one either. These are all Jesse's sons. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has he chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health, and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on... The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. I want to highlight a few things here. First, the Lord looks at the heart, right? He wasn't looking for the big leader, the big, you know, the big name in the family. He was looking for the one that had his heart, that was cultivating that inner life with the Lord. And that's who he chose. Secondly, I want, to think, I want you to think about what was going through David's mind at this point. You got this shepherd boy, not even, not even enough stature in his family to get to the event with the big prophet, right? He was in the field, so they didn't bring him in. And then in this moment, he comes and he's got the prophet of the Lord of the whole nation. And this prophet is carrying, it says, a horn of oil. It's like a ram's horn filled with oil. And so David, he kneels down. And this oil, this, I mean, you're not talking about like a dab or a horn, is pouring down this young boy's head. Just think about that picture. What is going through David's mind as the oil, the anointing oil, is flowing off his head 
And this man is saying, you are going to be the king. You have a call unlike you probably ever knew. And in that moment, you have to think, like, David's whole life was, like, flipped around in that whole moment. Like, his, even his understanding of himself was completely altered. And, and so I believe these moments that we have with the Lord, they're a similar type of moment. You can feel the anointing oil on your head. You can feel the weight of the significance that, of God that, that your life is. And maybe you're not called to be a king, but you don't have to be a king to have significance and purpose in the kingdom. And in fact, Jesus says, you're all priests and kings now in my kingdom. And so it's in these moments that we get these words and they, they like wreck our hearts. But as I said before, then all of a sudden the next moment, we can't grasp it. We forget or we get frustrated, downtrodden. The external things start to take us from the internal realities that we've heard from the Lord. But what else did David receive that day? It says, on that day, is the last verse, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So yes, he, his whole life's about to change. And in fact, you know, he probably thought, um, now I'm going to be in the king's court. I'm going to do all this great stuff. And he gets the call from the king. He gets the call from, from Saul. He gets to go into the king's palace. Things seem to be going that way. And how many of you know everything started to suck from that point on for David? It sucked. Now the king's jealous at him. He's throwing spears at him. Now the king's chasing him around in the mountains. You know, now he's got this band of brothers, but they're all like outlaws and they're hanging out in caves. How you want to, you're going to get to be the king, David. You're going to get to serve and do the, do the king's role. And now you're stuck in a cold, damp, wet cave with a bunch of outlaws. And even they end up abandoning him at some point. So you think, or he probably thought, here's how it's going to go. But then everything kind of fell apart. But you know what didn't leave him? The spirit of the Lord. It didn't leave him. And when he got the word, he got the spirit of the Lord deposited as well. And so when you get the word, rejoice and remember it and write it down. But remember, the spirit of the Lord is what's actually going to get you to that fulfillment of that word. Just, just having a word is not enough. You, you have to be in relationship with the spirit of the Lord, that, that inner life where you dwell with him. And in that place, David was able to overcome. And, and David had something that no other king up to that point, and most later didn't have, that rich internal life, that rich dialogue, that, that constant presence, praise, and prayer. Those things marked King David. Presence, the presence of God, praise, worship, and prayer. Those are so key to, to having that inside life dominate, dominate us and overwhelm us and keep us upright. You know, I was trying to think of David a bit more and how to understand David. And you see his heart of prayer and praise. I mean, you see it, you see it in the Psalms, but you see it very much in the early part of his life. He cultivated that with the Lord in the fields as a shepherd. And so my daughter, one of my daughters, I have three, she's six, her name's Fern. And Fern, just a few weeks ago, she's, she comes in, she was out in the woods somewhere, 
sometimes we're up in Pennsylvania, and so she was out in the woods in Pennsylvania, and she's like, Dad, like, you'll never believe what happened to me. I was worshiping the Lord. I was singing this song to God, and I was like, oh, this song you know? She's like, no, just this song that I, I got, and I was singing it to him outside just now, and Dad, all of creation is worshiping with me. She's six. I said, tell me more. She said, I saw the trees. I saw their branches reaching up to worship the Lord. All of creation is worshiping with me, Dad. I said, how often do you do this? She's like, I do it a lot. I just don't normally tell you. (laughs) It's like, thanks, because now I don't know if I know Jesus after talking to you. (laughs) But I just imagine that David had that heart. Like, that's what he was doing out in the fields. And that's part of why God knew he could trust him to be king. He knew that he would give him the spirit, but that he would cultivate that relationship, that inner life with the spirit of God in him. So in this house, we want to see each and every one of you flourish. We want to see you be strengthened and built up in your innermost being. So that no matter what comes, no matter what calling you have, you're going to face some level of trial. And many of us are in it right now. And when you're strengthened in your inner man, you're going to flourish. You're going to persevere. I don't care what happens. I don't care how bad it gets. So this is the prayer, right? This is Ephesians 3, very famous prayer by Apostle Paul. I'm going to read it to you. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. I want you to read it, but I, let's, as I read it, this needs to be internalized in our company. This prayer is the prayer that we can pray every day for ourselves and for other people to help us overcome the things that we're facing now and what we'll face in the time to come. Ephesians 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's so important that we pray to strengthen our inner man. It's so important. Now, what is, what is the inner man? So the inner man, it's, it's your soul. Is what, you're, is what you're praying to strengthen. And that's your mind, that's your will, that's your emotions. So when you're praying that, you're saying, God, would you build up my soul that my mind, my will, and my emotions would be so attached to you that, that my decisions and how I live and how I operate would be driven by your will. Let my will be attached to yours. Let my emotions be attached to yours. Let my mind be renewed and be like yours. Give me the mind of Christ. You're praying all those things when you, when you pray to strengthen your inner man. And God loves to strengthen our inner man. But you know what's interesting? He tells you to ask him. Well, that's interesting. So he wants to strengthen my inner man, but he wants me to ask him. What is he up to? Why does he operate that way? You know, I believe the strength of your inner man actually determines the quality of your life. 
Not all the external things. It's the strength of your inner man. That determines the quality of your life. I know people in terrible situations, financially challenging situations, you know, crazy sort of external situations. And those that are, have a strong inner life with the Lord, they flourish. They're happy people. They're peaceful people. I don't care what you put around them. They have a strong inner life. And so in New York, we get a lot of things that feel hard. You know, my dad was with me. He's like, I don't know how you guys do it. It's crazy in New York. He's like, you know, like you just hear like people always talk about how New York is so hard, yada, yada, yada. And yeah, it is hard. But if you have that inner life, boy, if you're, you will flourish in this city. And some of you are new here, and I would encourage you. You're new to this church, but you're also new to this city. Pray, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Strengthen and get that inner life built up, and you will thrive. I don't care where God puts you. He may call you somewhere else. You're not always called here, but you will thrive wherever you go. So the inner man is one of the most neglected people of all time. <laughs> it really is. It's really neglected. And, um, you know, I was thinking this analogy. There's um, sailboats. And if you see a sailboat, you know, when it's blown around by strong winds, it'll lean real far left. It'll lean real far right. You know, the thing will go all over the place. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't flip over. And you ever thought to yourself, why is that sailboat not flipping over? Like, that, that wind is coming across it, and it is leaning as far as you can imagine. But boop, it pops right back up. Well, why is it? Well, the answer is not anything you can see. <laughs> it's the keel. It's underneath. It's hidden. And it's the thing that keeps that sailboat from tipping. And your inner life is going to keep you from tipping no matter what winds come. And I believe there's going to be strong winds, stronger than what we've seen. And I'm not, I'm not prophesying. I'm not trying to be negative. But the reality is I don't care what winds come. Like, I'm with him. I'm cultivating an inner life with him. And when they come, as Ogo and Jamal are saying, your life's going to preach. <laughs> your life's going to be the most peaceful thing around. And people are going to say, I want that. What's, the, what's under your boat? Like, you know, this keel, this inner life, you're going to want it because it's Jesus himself. And he won't leave you or forsake you. So I would encourage you, if you're feeling insignificant, purposeless, if you're feeling frustrated, step one, start praying for your inner man to be built up. Start, start praying that prayer. There's a lot of other things you can do that are helpful, but I don't think that's necessarily the first thing we think of. But I want to encourage you to do it. So how do you actually do this? How do you cultivate an inner life? Well, I already told you in the beginning, prayer, I believe, is one important, one of the, is the most important component to strengthen our inner life. Um, and we, it's funny because we like, sometimes we forget to pray for ourselves. Like, some people don't, but some people really do. Like, you're really good at, like, praying for everybody. You got your prayer list. In this house, we pray a lot, so you're always, like, you know, finding the next emergency, pray for that person. But, you know, like, literally, like, that can be a problem sometimes because you ever been, in a, you ever been on an airplane, you know, and they're like, you know, oxygen mask. When they drop, put the mask over your face first and then put it over your child, you know. It's like you got to put it on you first. And so I want to encourage you. Like, let that come to your mind as you're praying. Lord, get that oxygen mask on me so that I can pray, so I can be a light. Lord, would you, would you strengthen my inner man? Would you strengthen my resolve, my faith, my desire for you? We, we need to pray that for ourselves, and that's not a selfish prayer. That's a prayer that's, that's, that's healthy, that's sustainable, and that will keep us um, in him when times of testing come. 
And I really believe as we pray this prayer, as it becomes a habit, you start to develop habitual reactions to things, good ones. When you're praying, when you have this prayer life with the Lord, you start to react in a really godly manner instead of the old manner, which, you know, I've got plenty of those. Ask my wife. Um, but when things, when trials and troubles come, you react differently. So my daughter, Le- my other daughter, Lilu, she's four. She has got this great habitual habit that my, my wife taught her. So she'll be watching a movie. And the other day we were driving in the car, and I, I knew what was going on. She's watching a movie. Anytime, like, a bad guy comes, she does not like bad guys. She's like a justice. She just, like, wants things to be right and good. So when a bad guy comes or she feels afraid, she yells out, Stop in the name of Jesus! <laughs> like, no matter, like, whatever she's watching, she just takes authority in the movie. <laughs> Stop in the name of Jesus! And, and so, like, that has become her norm, Right? And I'm just waiting for the moment when we're out in the street, right, and something goes on, some injustice, and she screams it to the person on the street. And then she'll find out that the Holy Spirit's not a junior Holy Spirit. Like, she's going to see some power come forth from that four-year-old. But she's got this habit already of when things are rough and insane and tough or she feels injustice or trial, she cries out to the Lord, stop in the name of Jesus. And so in the, when we develop this prayer life, I believe it starts to change our habits. And instead of getting hopeless when we receive certain bits of information, instead of shrinking back, something rises up, that inner man rises up in us, and we say, no, like, Jesus, you have overcome this situation. But that happens not because we've got a great prophetic word. It happens because we have developed and cultivated an inner life with the Spirit of God in us. And that's where that habit comes from. It comes from that place of intimacy, not just from a word, not just from a moment. Those moments are invitations for a lifestyle of prayer and intimacy with him. And we need that lifestyle. It's so important. Jesus modeled this so beautifully. I mean, he is our model. He's why we want to live a lifestyle of prayer, because he showed us how to do it. Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5, verse 7 and 9. And here's what it says. And this is Jesus. How, this is how Jesus overcame trial and tribulation, hardship. How did he do it? During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. It's through his prayers and supplications that Jesus overcame every temptation. And he was God. Even God himself had to pray to overcome. How much more so do we? Even God himself said it was through his prayers and supplications that he overcame. He didn't just overcome just because he's God. He overcame by praying to his father through the inner life. And he learned obedience through it as well. So we see this played out. I mean, it can't be a better example than the Garden of Gethsemane. So before Jesus is taken to the cross, he goes with the disciples to the garden, and they're praying. And I want to pick up that story real quick. It's Matthew 26, verse 36. And it says, When Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. We didn't take note of that. 
Jesus is feeling sorrowful and troubled. Jesus is feeling this. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face on the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me with one, for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even Jesus himself had to pray so that his spirit, the spirit of God in him, would overcome the flesh. And he's modeling this to his disciples, but even he is experiencing the sorrow and the pain of, of, of living in this earth, of being in human skin, in a decaying body, and saying, God, I want to be connected to your spirit. I don't want to be driven by, by my flesh, by this desire to self-preserve and, and not follow your will. And he overcame those temptations in prayer and in intimacy with his father. And I love that he brought his disciples along because he's like, you guys are next. And they were. They had to lay down their life. But he's, he's modeling to them, this is how you do it. This is how you take up your cross. I'm showing you right now. I really believe it's only with a strong internal life will we be able to overcome the, the temptations of this world and be able to truly lay our life down like Christ did. Only by a strong internal life. That's the only way we're going to do it. There's no external way to do it. It's by this internal life because it will redirect your emotions and your mind and your will and align them with his. And everything in you is going to be squirming sometimes. When God calls you to something, your flesh is going to rise up and want to not do it. But when you have that internal connection with the Lord, when you're cultivating a life of prayer, you'll do it and not even think twice sometimes. Other times you might be sorrowful. You might, so don't freak out if you're having a hard time saying yes. Jesus himself is, is in this place of like seeking the Lord, trying to discern, trying to overcome the things that are coming against him. And of course he did. So I want to read this verse real quick. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. And this is a great verse about overcoming trials through the inner man, through your inner life. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, what? We are being renewed day by day. Isn't that good? Thank you, Jesus, for the spirit of God in us, renewing us day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. The outward is fading. These bodies are fading. But in the, in the inside of us, when the Spirit of God dwells in us, we know that there's a deeper part of our life. There's more significance to us. We know. We feel that renewal of His Spirit day by day by day by day. And it doesn't matter what we see or what we experience. It doesn't matter when we get old because our, our life is tethered to Christ. And his life is now ours. His righteousness is now ours. And there's such freedom in that place. There's such peace in that place. And that's how you overcome. And that's why no matter what external pressures come, you're, you're safe. You're with him. You're tethered to him. 
you're living in your inner man. So I just want to close by three points, three points of what it looks like to live from the inside out. What does this look like? I'm throwing this concept around a little bit. I want to give it a little more, a little more meat. So living, point number one, living from the inside out means that external pressures don't control you. I'll say it again because I'll give you time to get this water. Living from the inside out means that external pressures won't control you. When you're being led by your inner man, shame and fear are not going to mess with you. They're not. How many of you know there is so much shame and fear right now in our culture? It is everywhere. And we have to throw off these shackles of shame and fear. We have to throw it off. And I believe when you're strengthening your inner man, you will. But if you're built up and you just have strong opinions and you want to throw them off by your opinions, I don't know if you're going to thrive in the coming season. But if you throw them off because you have Jesus in you and you are seeking him, when shame and fear come at you, it won't stick to you. And you won't. You won't. Saul threw spears at David. David didn't throw spears back at Saul. You got spears coming at you from all over the place. Don't throw them back. And I believe you do that from cultivating this inner life with the Lord. So some people, they, they're speaking very finite things, saying you need to do this as a Christian. You need to do that. This, don't be silent about this. Be silent about that. They're telling you what you need to do. And it's finite. It's very like, do this, do that. These are very nuanced situations that we're living in. There is a lot of nuance. When you hear somebody give you a finite solution to a nuanced situation, you need to go and seek the Lord and not, and not respond to these finite, very matter-of-fact statements. Don't do it. Because I want to be like David. I want to have, I want to cultivate this life of prayer and presence and praise. And from that place, then I'll respond to the culture around me or what it tells me to do and not to do. This vaccine stuff right now is in your face. And I want to tell you, like, there is such a divisive spirit on this thing. And there's, there's many of us in this room have different opinions on it. It's just a reality. And if you, if you have prayed to the Lord and you believe you're supposed to take the vaccine, then get the vaccine. Get it. Do it. If you have prayed to the Lord and you feel like, I don't think I'm supposed to get it, I don't feel peace about it, don't do it. It seems so simple, right? People are telling you do one thing, do the other. They're trying to shame people on either side of this situation. It's no good. It's not in the Bible. It's not something you can come and tell people you have to do this, you have to do that. And if the government's trying to tell you you have to do this, you have to put this in your body, they're trying to force or coerce you, you don't have to do it. Your body does not belong to the government. It belongs to God. And if other people come and try to shame you or push you in whatever place you are with, this, with the vaccine issue, they try to shame you and push you to their side, do not buy into it. 
Like you say, no, I'm going to seek the Lord. I live before him. I live before the Lord. And I know it's a tricky subject, but I, I want to speak to it because I really think we can't take the bait and try to control or shame other people. And when we're living in the inside life, we won't do it because we'll say, God loves that brother or sister. God died for this person. I won't speak ill of them. We can have different opinions without me shaming them. I can, I can be honest with you about my opinion, but if I shame you for having a different one on matters like this, I'm off. I don't care what opinion I have. See, I believe we need to get to a place where the inward life is what births our decisions, not the external pressures. And I don't care where they come from. I want to I follow the Lord. I want to be tethered to Jesus. So how many of you know when, we, when there's a spirit of fear that comes on you, you can make some terrible decisions? And I know I've done it. You know, I, I feel um, when I first met Vanessa, we, she moved down to be near me, and I was living in Virginia, and she hated it. She didn't like any of it. And uh, I was like, stick it out, babe. It's going to be great. We're going to do ministry together, and life will be amazing. And, um, and she wanted to run. She wanted to leave, and she tried to. And I was so afraid that she was going to leave me and the relationship was going to fall apart. I controlled and manipulated her like the worst I ever have anybody in, in my life because I was terrified she would leave me. I was scared of what would happen to my life and to our relationship. And so if you've done that in this season, here's the good news. The spirit in you will convict your heart. You come and you repent to him. And we move on. It's that simple in Christ. And so that's what I did. I was like, gosh, babe, I'm sorry. Like, I know this relationship is new, but I manipulated and tried to control you because I'm terrified of losing you. And we prayed and we moved on. Our relationship healed and my relationship with God was stronger than ever. So that's my example. I hope it, I hope it speaks to you and where you're at in this season. So that was all number one, but the, other, the next two are quick. <laughs> um, so number one, what does it mean to have an inner, inner life with God? Um, I've already lost my place because that one was so long that I forgot where I was at. Um, living from the inside means external pressures don't control you. Number two, living from the inside means you are accountable to God first. You're accountable to God. These external pressures, they're going to say, oh, I'm important. Look at me. Do what it is. Respond to me. I'm accountable to the Lord first and foremost. Colossians, um, or 2 Corinthians rather, it's further in the chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That's a sobering verse. We're going to stand before the Lord one day. But we all need to hear it. We don't want to just skip over it because it doesn't feel good. This is how we make our decisions. Knowing one day we'll stand before the Lord and we'll be held accountable for those decisions. I'm not talking about your salvation. If you're in Christ, you're covered. But your decisions matter. And in fact, you'll stand before the Lord one day and attest to those. Let that drive how you behave. Let that drive how you act. Let that drive how you, how you love others. Because it doesn't matter your opinion or their opinion. It matters how you love them, and you're going to stand before the Lord. 
an answer for how you love them. Worship team, could you guys come up? All right, that was fast. I told you it was quick. So first one, I've already lost it again in my notes. I just want to make sure I get it right. Living from the inside out means external pressures don't control you. Number two, living from the inside out means you're accountable to God first. Number three, living from the inside out means you are willing to lay everything down for Jesus. It's risky to live from the inside out. I'm willing to lay everything down for you, God. I won't be coerced by the situations, by the pressures around me. You know, when you get saved and you meet God, sometimes I feel the church at times at large, I'm not talking about our church or any specific church, but we kind of like want to lower the bar a bit, like so that you'll come in and, and be a part of following Jesus. And like, yeah, you know, come on in and like, you know, your life's going to get better. And like, you know, you can, just, you can just add Jesus to your life and it's just going to sweeten it so much. And it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Like, <laughs> like what about King David? You know, he, you know, he gets his call and he gets oppressed and attacked and persecuted. Um, but you know, when, when we come in a relationship with God, it, it's the best and it's, it's life-changing and it, you will have the peace and the joy and all the good stuff, but you will face persecution and trials. And if we don't tell people that, then they get disillusioned when things come. And you say, where is God in this? This is actually what you signed up for. You said you're going to follow Jesus to the end. This is what it's all about. Trials and adversity come with following Christ. It says every saint ever, (laughs) every person ever, They know that trials and adversity come with following Jesus. So we can't, we can't dumb down the reality that we are giving everything to Jesus. We're saying, come what may, whatever comes my way, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I don't care what pressure because I'm living from the inside out. And that means I'm not going to make decisions just based on what's easy, not just based on logic. I'm not going to make decisions like my neighbor because I'm living from the inside out. It's all for you. Everything's for you, Jesus. Everything's for you. This is what we signed up for. And he's faithful to carry us. But I believe in, the, in those tough times, and there may be some ahead, he is strengthening us in the inner man. And we're going to flourish. And when you're in that place with him, you're going to go, you're going to overcome every bit of adversity. And in fact, you're going to have eyes to see what he's doing. So instead of, you know, pulling back, saying, ah, the pressure's too hard. The external weight is too heavy. You're going to see, you're going to see what he's doing because he's going to actually tell you on the inside. He's going to say, no, watch. Watch and pray. Watch what I do. And you're going to have a peace even in the testing. You're going to have a joy even in the crushing. We have to know that this all comes together at the same time. (laughs) It's all happening at the same time. These pressures, these temptations, but great joy, overcoming victory in Christ. 
It happens at the same time. Can everybody stand for me, please? So we're going to see the gospel flourish in times of testing, in times of persecution. The gospel is going to flourish, and it's going to happen in this city. And I really, really believe that. And that's why I'm here. That hopefully is why you're here. And if it's not, welcome to the party. The gospel flourishing, Jesus encountering people in our city. That's what I'm signed up for. That's what I see. So let's strengthen ourselves in the Lord this morning, or whatever time it is. Let's strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So I want to pray right now that we would be strengthened. So Father God, we pray. We pray right now that you would strengthen our inner man to overcome every challenge. You would give us a peace that passes understanding today. You would give us joy, 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 joy. Let the joy of the Lord be our strength, that we would endure any and every hardship, that we would come in with our eyes wide open, knowing the cost and saying, Jesus, I'm here for you. I lay my life down. I give you everything because you have given me everything. I give you the love that you first gave me. You've redeemed us for a purpose. And I, I feel like there's, there's things in people's lives, and people in this room on YouTube, there's things in your life that have tried to encroach on that inner life. And said, those things have said, lay down your life for me. And I feel the Lord saying like, he's coming and he's saying, I am the center. I am the center. I'm the one worth laying down your life for. It's not ideas, it's not social movements, it's not certain leaders. Jesus is the one worth laying down your life. So if that's you, I just want you to lay that idol before him this morning. Just lay down any idol that's tried to come in. And you'll know it because it will demand more of you than it should. It will demand your mind. It will demand your loyalty. But I see the Lord coming in and saying, no, I bought you, I paid for you, your life is mine. So come, Father, thank you for your jealous heart. Come and restore and strengthen our inner man today. In Jesus' name, let's worship him.